welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, May 15th, 2022. May God use this as a blessing for you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so we are going to play a game. I'm going to share a number of commonly known facts. Um, The twist is a few of them aren't actually facts, but they're misinformation that people assume to be facts. So the challenge for you is to guess which ones are fact and which ones are fiction. All right, you ready? You don't have to write anything down. Just remember them in your head as we go along. Here we go. Chewing gum takes seven years to digest if you swallow it. Fact or fiction, don't say it yet. We're going to come back to these in a minute. Second, the color red angers bulls. Third, the Great Wall of China is visible from the moon. Fourth, humans need to consume eight glasses of water every day in order to remain healthy. Next, a person who needs to be missing for at least 24 hours before a missing person's report can be filed with the police. Next, shaving makes your hair grow back faster and thicker. Next, hyperactivity is caused by sugar when you give it to children. Lemmings have been known to jump to their deaths off a cliff during their annual migrations. And finally, hair and fingernails continue to grow for a while, even after a person is dead. Okay, so we're going to go back through these and keep track in your own mind uh, how many you get right, whether they are fact or fiction. So here we go. Chewing gum takes at least seven years to digest if swallowed. This is... Fiction, that's right, because chewing gum is indigestible, so it goes through our system the same amount of time that everything else goes through our system. Uh, The color red angers bulls, fact or fiction? Actually, it's fiction, it's the movement of the cape that angers the bulls. What about this, the Great Wall of China is visible from the moon, fact or fiction? Ah, Dathan says fact. It is actually fiction. Nothing man-made is visible from the moon. In fact, astronauts tell us that even when they orbit the Earth, they can barely make out the Great Wall just from orbiting. So nothing from the moon that's that's man-made can be seen. Uh, Humans need to consume eight glasses of water every day to stay healthy. Now, everybody knows this, right? We learned this in elementary school. This is, of course, fiction because... Uh, the, the amount of water needed varies by person based on their weight, their activity level, and the environment in which they live. It might be more than eight. Who knows, right? Uh, sh- missing persons, people have to be missing for 24 hours to file a missing persons report. This is, of course, it's actually fiction. Because if there's evidence of violence or an unusual absence, then a report can be filed earlier than 24 hours. What about shaving, making your hair grow back faster and thicker? We know this to be uh, fiction. Dathan, I think you're batting a 1,000 so far in all of these. Uh, Hair grows back 
wider, but not thicker or faster. I don't know the difference between wider and thicker, but that's what the internet told me, so must be true, right? Uh, how about this one? Sugar causes hyperactivity in children. That is a fact. Every parent knows this. No, I'm just kidding. It's a lie. It's fiction. There is no scientific evidence that sugar causes hyperactivity. Uh, studies have been done that show that it actually, even on ADHD kids, has zero effect. They're just wired like that, I guess, right? What about lemmings being known to jump to their deaths off cliffs during migration? Dathan, that is? No comment. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's also fiction. Get a load of this. There was a Disney film called White Wilderness that led people to believe this because they saw lemmings leaping to their death. But Behind the scenes, it was actually filmed on a soundstage, and the photographers pushed the lemmings off the cliff. And now we all believe that lemmings, right? Are you going to be like a lemming and just do what everyone else says? No, that's a Disney thing, I guess. All right, so, yeah, totally fiction. Hair and fingernails continue to grow for a while after death. That is? Dathan says fact. It's fiction. Actually, the, sh the skin shrivels and dries and pulls backwards. That's what makes it look like your fingernails and your hair continue to grow, but it does not. So there you go. Uh, if you have any other questions about anything important, talk to Dathan. He's got all the answers. <laughs> oh, wait, there's one more question I want to ask you. Fact or fiction, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Now, before you answer... Let me just see a show of hands. Who've ever heard that statistic before, that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, right? I had heard that as well. So you can imagine my surprise when I heard author and researcher Shanti Feldman say that it is complete and utter fiction. Hmm. Welcome to the third week in our current sermon series for the month of May called Love, Sex, and Relationships. Now, I know that not everyone is currently married, but... As I've said each week during the series, all of us are in positions of influence in relation to other people that are married, that are close to us, friends, family, co-workers, and uh, people that are in long-term relationships. So we have an opportunity to share information that we learned during this series uh, with others. If it's not uh, pertinent to you, it may be pertinent to someone that you know and love. Now, back to our topic at hand, Shanti Feldheim attempted to get to the bottom of this 50% of all marriages end in divorce uh, statistic. And she could not find that that statistic ever actually existed. The U.S. Census Bureau stopped projecting divorce rates in 1996. Divorce peaked in 1980, and it's been decreasing ever since. As a matter of fact, even at its height, the divorce rate never got close to 50%. Her book, the good news about marriage, debunking discouraging myths about marriage and divorce, is the result of eight years of investigated study. And Feldhahn writes this. I know that, I now know that although there are plenty of challenges, most marriages are still far stronger, happier, and longer lasting than most of us realize. Now there's one common uh, denominator among marriages that survive versus mar marriages that fail, and that is hope. 
Chauncey notes a number of contributing factors led to the outcome of whether a couple will stay married or not. But the bottom line was this. Did the couple have a sense of hope or a sense of futility? Because couples go through difficult times, right? Even the best of relationships have challenges. That's just a part of life. But if a couple felt certain that they would make it through the rough patches, well, they usually did. On the other hand, if they felt like they they weren't going to survive, well, that was one of the primary reasons why they didn't. In a letter from a woman who had gone through a divorce a few years before, uh, she told Shanti this. "It's It's a season of crisis when making the decision to split. You just want the pain to end, and you'll grasp at anything to justify it. It's only later that the consequences to you and your family become clear. If I thought divorce was much more rare, especially in the church, I would have worked harder. I think the 50% statistic makes it easier to just give up and divorce. People like me view our divorce as a painful failure, but when supposedly 50% fail anyway, well, failing doesn't seem so bad because you have a lot of company. Well, how different would it be instead of believing that there's, you know, 50-50% chance that we're going to survive if a couple instead thought, you know, it's not the end of the world. This may be challenging and difficult, but we can get through this because most couples do. Now, it's important to also remember that statistics are generalities, and statistics can't define everyone. There are always outliers. So as you hear what I'm about to share with you today, ask God to filter that for you and your relationship. So let's start with this fact. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 72% of those who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse. Now, the remaining 28%, not all of them are divorced either. Some are widowed, and those uh, people are not counted in the 72%. Now, taking that into account, the divorce rate among first marriages is actually closer to 20%. The 2009 Census Bureau survey of income and and program uh, revealed that when they look at everyone, including those who have been married multiple times, only 31% of our population has experienced divorce. And 31%, while large, is still quite a bit of ways from 50. Another fact that I alluded to earlier is that the divorce rate has been declining for years. And did you know that couples who lived together before marriage actually have a higher percentage of divorce than those who don't live together first? Sociologists think that this may be that couples who live together uh, uh, first are often the type of people who might break up more easily, and so some of them just never actually choose to get married, which effectively lowers the divorce rate as well. Another reason divorces have been declining for a while is that people are getting married later in life, uh, more than they used to, and those marriages are simply more likely to last for a lifetime, as we'll hear shortly. Shandi Feldhahn found that there are four key uh, demographic factors that influence marriage longevity. First, couples who marry in their mid-20s or later have a much greater chance of making it to their 20th anniversary, let's say. Secondly, statistically, college-educated people are far more likely to both get married later and stick with their marriages. Researcher Andrew Cherlin has found that just having a college education alone drops the divorce rate 
to about 17% in the first 10 years of a marriage. Third, marriages, first marriages appear to have a greater chance of success than subsequent marriages. And finally, you've heard about the infamous seven-year itch. Well, most divorces occur within the first five years. So if a couple can make it past their fifth anniversary, their chances of divorce drop dramatically. Sociologist Scott Stanley, co-author of A Lasting Promise, told Shanti that if a couple has been married for many, many years, let's, let's say 40, and, and their first, it's their first marriage for both, the likelihood of their marriage ending in divorce is practically zero. Now, divorce is increasing among those 50 years and older, but the greater increase is among those who are remarried or in shorter duration, second or subsequent marriages. Fact, 80% of all marriages today are happy according to both spouses, at least how they responded to uh, surveys when they were asked. Now, the research behind this statistic will be the basis of our final chapter of this series in a couple of weeks, and it's the source of another one of Shanti's uh, books. I heard her speak on this exact topic in Hawaii before we moved here uh, in 2015, and it was so encouraging to hear that I knew that it was uh, something that I also needed to share with the community. So come back in two weeks, and that's what we'll be talking about. Now, for the remaining 20% of the not-so-happy marriages, there's a great chance that they will be happy if they stay committed to their relationship for at least five years. In the final week of our series, we're going to look at uh, some very simple solutions that can turn around a struggling marriage uh, or uh, turn a good marriage into an even better one. Now, generally speaking, uh, unhappy adults who are perhaps trying to escape the pain uh, by divorcing instead experience a different kind of pain after they divorce. Shanti Feldhahn writes, the truth is that although we can never look to marriage to make us happy, we need to be trumpeting the fact that when a couple chooses wisely and then takes the scary but wonderful step of commitment for life, they are much more likely to have that abundant relationship than they are looking for. Well, fact, every study that has ever been done has found that the divorce rate among those who regularly attend church is much lower than those who don't. Those who regularly attend worship services every week have a 25 to 50% lower rate of divorce, which sounds like a shocking statistic, doesn't it? But well-known sociologists, uh, demographers, psychologists, and other research, they've all found that when someone has an active faith, no matter what the faith tradition may be, their chances of divorce were lowered significantly. Well, what about remarriages, right? Now, Feldhahn admits that remarriages have a somewhat higher divorce rate, especially in the first five years of those subsequent remarriages. And yes, it makes a lot of sense that for those who have already experienced a divorce, that they're uh, particularly careful about avoiding another one. But the evidence shows that remarriages, especially second marriages, can be expected to last a lifetime. Just as with first marriages, the greatest uh, divorce risk for remarriages occurs in those first five years. And according to research that Shanti uh, discovered and what she was able to infer from other studies that have been done, roughly one-third of second uh, marriages appear to end in divorce. So another way of looking at it is that two-thirds of all second marriages will be likely to last for a lifetime. 
Author Shauna Nequist, in her book Bittersweet, writes about a difficult season in her own marriage and how she and her husband, Aaron, pushed through. She says this, Aaron and I are finding that marriage, and maybe all relationships, are built on the past. And that's a good thing, right? When the past involves honeymoons and great dates and moments of sweetness and partnership. But what are we left with when increasingly the past also contains the moments when we hurt each other? Or the times we stopped listening? Or the needs we saw and didn't meet? The conversations that we may have walked away from? We were stuck. And it felt like you could have subbed in a pre-recorded version of the same old fight we'd had a thousand times. We kept thinking that if we talked about it one more time, we would break through to something, but that wasn't happening. Instead of breaking through, we were, well, just breaking apart, bit by bit, blow by blow. You should have by you should have. It was a conversation that centered itself entirely in the past, and it kept us there, unable to move into a new future, forced to recreate a future that was a terrible mirror of the past that we just couldn't shake. And so one day, they just decided to let it go, to leave their fights and their struggles behind. And she said it happened uh, when they went on a trip from where they lived in Chicago to South Bend, Indiana. And they agreed while they were there on that trip to never again bring up the relationship items that they had left in, uh, that they left there in South Bend that they acknowledged their brokenness and they looked to God to hold them together. And you know, one of the challenges, I think, for marriages or any relationship is that we are often so eager to be right that we miss the power of recognizing our brokenness together before the Lord. Psalm 51 says, For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you'd not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And we hear the word broken today and we think damaged or something that doesn't work the way it should. And we don't want to be broken, at least not in that sense, but, but the Bible thinks of brokenness differently. Brokenness in the Bible means recognizing our imperfection, being aware of our faults and failures. And when we acknowledge our brokenness before God in humility, then we can somehow be made even stronger in that brokenness by God's grace. In 2014, the group Casting Crowns released a song called Broken Together. It was from their album Thrive. And I still remember when I first heard it. I was in Hawaii. I was driving in my car. It came on the radio. And I literally had to pull over to the side of the road and just listen to the words of this song. It was so powerful. And it has become a word of encouragement, of perseverance, and grace for me. And I hope it will be for you as well. In fact, I asked Don a few weeks ago if he could learn this song to be able to play it in worship for us this day. I want you to hear the lyrics again. What do you think about when you look at me? I know we're not the fairy tale you dreamed we'd be. You wore the veil, you walked the aisle, you took my hand, and we dove into a mystery. How I wish we could go back to simpler times before... All our scars and all our secrets were in the light. Now on this hallowed ground, we've drawn the battle lines. Will we make it through the night? It's going to take much more than promises this time. Only God can change our minds. 
Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Could we just be broken together? If you can bring your shattered dreams and I'll bring mine, could healing still be spoken and save us? The only way we'll last forever is to be broken together. How it must have been so lonely by my side. We were building kingdoms and chasing dreams. We left love behind. I'm praying God will help our broken hearts align and we won't give up the fight. It's going to take much more than promises this time. Only God can change our minds. Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Could we just be broken together? If you can bring your shattered dreams and I'll bring mine, could healing still be spoken and save us? The only way we'll last forever is broken together. Maybe you and I were never meant to be complete. Could we just be broken together? If you can bring your shattered dreams and I'll bring mine, could healing still be spoken and save us? The only way we'll last forever is broken together. The lyrics are so powerful. Marriage was never meant to be perfect. But if in our humility we can be broken together, imperfect people made in the image of God, willing to see each other as such, and if we can trust that God is the one to lift us up out of that brokenness, then we can make it, each and every one of us, in our committed relationships. Psalm 37, 24 reminds us, though we stumble, we shall not fall headlong, for the Lord holds us by the hand. Our scripture reading that Kathy read for us is from the prophet Jeremiah. It's a beautifully written passage. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And when you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Such a beautiful passage, right? It's the, it's the kind of verse that people will embroider and put on their walls or make pillows out of it or find it in God's fortune cookies. But do you know the context in which it was written? It was written during the period of time in Israel's history known as the Babylonian exile. This was the 6th century BC when the superpower of, the, uh, of that moment, the Babylonians, came in and not only burned the capital of Jerusalem, but they also led the best and the brightest away from their homeland 700 miles away into captivity in Babylon. So they had to leave their, their country, their family, their friends. It was a devastating time in Israel's history. Here's a map showing the route that they took of those 700 miles. By the way, Babylon is in present-day Iraq. So in chapter 29, the prophet Jeremiah is telling the people who are already living in captivity, 700 miles away from home, they are not to fight it. Don't resist, don't rebel, don't try to escape. God wants them to live their lives for this season in Babylon, because God is trying to work a change in their lives, a divine restart, so to speak. And when that reset has been accomplished, which would be about 70 years, an entire lifetime for most people, then God would return their children from Babylon back into Israel. It's in this context that Jeremiah said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Life isn't always easy, friends, and neither are marriages. 
But when we're going through the darkest valleys, if we seek God with all of our heart, God will be working for our future and our welfare. Because it all comes back to this, hope. And if we believe we'll make it as a couple, if we encourage our children and our grandchildren in their marriages that they also can make it, then there's an overwhelming chance that we and they will by the grace of God. Now granted, sometimes divorce is necessary. It's regrettable, but necessary. But it shouldn't be the default that we turn to the moment that we start having challenges. And please don't be afraid to seek professional counseling because your relationship is worth that. Now I'll close with this portion of an email that Shanti Feldhahn received from pastor, therapist, and author Paul Friesen that she included in her book. It's long, but I think it's important. He writes this. If there is no hope, there will be little faith. If there's little faith, there will be little healing. Our daughter is an athletic trainer, and after a serious injury, an athlete will always uh, say something like, is there any hope that I'll play again? Now, the answer to that question will greatly affect the effort of the athlete in the healing process, and it will actually also affect the trainer's suggested regimen for the athlete, and I believe the same is true in ministry. For most couples in serious turmoil, the first two questions they ask us are, uh, have you ever seen a couple as bad as we are? And is there any hope? Now, if therapists really do not have hope that a marriage can be renewed, I honestly feel that our expectations are low and that we do not give it our best shot, nor is the couple motivated to do the work necessary. In essence, we decide to call hospice rather than a surgeon. And we end up just coming alongside the couple as they get divorced. But if we truly believe in God's power to change and transform, we not only have hope that it can change, but the faith that it can change as well. Now, granted, most of us are not marriage and family therapists, but we can be, friends, dispensers of hope, both in our marriages and in the marriages of our friends and family. Have hope. Trust in God. We don't have to be perfect. Nobody is. Just broken together. Healing can be spoken to save us. God does have a plan for our welfare and not for our harm. And that is the good news about marriage.